the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. What's this going on? What's going on as a family is that mom and dad have favorites. And Esau is loved by dad and Jacob is loved by mom. And instantly when you have this kind of division as a result of favoritism, you're going to have conflict, you're going to have chaos, you're going to have hostility, you're going to have strife, there's going to be competition. You've just set yourself up to create a family environment that is certainly not healthy when mom and dad are showing favoritism. Dad loves one child, mom loves a different child. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. We are warned throughout Scripture not to play favorites. The book of James warns against it happening in church gatherings. And from that, we can see that we should not practice it in any situation. God Himself does not play favorites. In today's study, Pastor Gary uses the family of Isaac and Rebecca to illustrate how destructive favoritism can be to a family. When parents favor one child over another, it can sow the seeds of animosity and mistrust that will last a lifetime. Only the power of God and repentant hearts can bring restoration. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message entitled, Jacob and Esau, Double Trouble. Genesis chapter 25, first book of the Bible, 25th chapter. Last week we took a look at the wedding story between Isaac and Rebekah, and today we're going to look at uh, how they have kids. Uh, The Lord blesses them with children, twins no less, in chapter 25. And even though we turn just one chapter from 24 when they got married to 25 when they have children, there's actually a 20-year gap in this story. Because we find when we read the text that they had struggled with infertility for 20 years. The Bible says here in chapter 25 that Isaac prayed for his wife Rebekah. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer. And Rebekah conceived. And she gave birth to twins. And they will name their twin boys Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is going to become like center stage. He's going to be the main character for many chapters to come now. And the reason is because God has providentially chosen that Jacob should be the son through whom the covenant promise continues, the promise that God made with Jacob's grandfather Abraham, and then with Abraham's son Isaac, and now with Isaac's son Jacob. So we come here to chapter 25, and we're now three generations into this covenant promise that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and now 
Jacob. So I'm going to read in chapter 25, starting at verse 19, down through the end of the chapter. And this is what it says. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married. Keep that in mind, 40 years old. He married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padanaram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Oh, I've got stuff to say. So, So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So that's how we know it was 20 years of fertility, because early in the passage we read he was 40 when they got married. He's now 60 when they finally have these kids. So 20 years of struggling with infertility. Verse 27 says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Edom in Hebrew means red. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil, some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. I wish I could tell you that in this story there are some heroes, some great shining examples of how we are to live godly lives. Unfortunately, not really the case. We have a story here of a family that is terribly flawed. Uh, sometimes God gives us stories in the Bible not only to let us know what to do and how to live, but sometimes he allows these real stories to come into Scripture to remind us what not to do, how not to live. And that's the case here. Despite the fact that this is a very, very flawed family, we're going to see, God nevertheless has chosen to use them for his incredible covenant promise. It's another example of how God will often use flawed, ordinary people to accomplish his perfect, extraordinary work. And he's going to use Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. He's going to use this whole family, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. He's going to do something here uniquely, and he's going to do something even specifically with Jacob in terms of fulfilling the covenant of God. And eventually, Messiah, Jesus, will be born from Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and then the line of of Jacob. So... Um, This is a family that has a lot of issues, but nevertheless, it's another testimony of God using some imperfect people to do his perfect work. When we watch here Jacob and Esau grow up, these twin boys born to Isaac and Rebekah, we see pretty quickly that they have, well, let's just say issues, all right? They have some issues going on. Jacob, in the story, what we find pretty quickly is he has a problem with being deceptive, manipulative, 
He is conniving. He's a schemer. He's a con artist, if there ever was one. That's Jacob. Esau, his brother, has a problem with being rash and resentful and angry. Uh, He is a man who is governed by the flesh. And when I say by the flesh, I mean he's out to serve his own appetites, his own desires, his own needs, his own wants, his own lusts, his own thoughts, rather than God. So that's who Esau is in this story. They aren't exactly the model children. Then again, neither are their parents. Isaac and Rebekah are not really model parents in the story either. Did you notice as I read through the text, look back again at verse 28. Verse 28 says, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. What's this going on? What's going on as a family is that mom and dad have favorites. And Esau is loved by dad, and Jacob is loved by mom. And instantly when you have this kind of division as a result of favoritism, you're going to have conflict, you're going to have chaos, you're going to have hostility, you're going to have strife, there's going to be competition. You've just set yourself up to create a family environment that is certainly not healthy when mom and dad are showing favoritism. Dad loves one child, mom loves a different child. So they're not model parents either in the story. And this is one of these examples where we're going to learn some stuff about what not to do. You know, I don't know who said this. It's an old adage. Uh, I've looked it up, and different people are giving credit for it. I don't know who to give credit for it, So here, but here's what the old adage is. It says, no man is completely useless. He can always serve as a bad example, right? (laughs) And that's what we have going on here. We have a lot of that. We have a lot of bad examples in this story, so we're going to learn some lessons and some principles from this flawed family. So let's dive in. Here's how the story goes. For 20 years, Isaac and Rebecca wrestle with infertility. It's a real issue, and it's a painful issue. Some of you have struggled with that, and you know firsthand that it is a very difficult thing to go through. So you who have struggled with infertility can probably be very empathetic and relate to the struggles that are going on here between Isaac and Rebecca for 20 years. And really, the only spiritual time in this whole story is when Isaac lovingly prays for his wife. That's about the best example of anything spiritual happening in this family. It's a very tender scene here where I kind of imagine how for 20 years he just is faithfully praying for and with his wife, sitting her down in a chair, taking her by the hand, kissing the top of her head, and just saying, honey, let's just pray and let's just seek the Lord on this. And the Lord is gracious and merciful, and he answers Isaac's prayer. But it was 20 years later. Rebecca's pregnant. She's got twins within her, and they're jostling. They're they're jabbing each other. It's probably startling for her. She's first-time mom, especially with twins. She's seeing little elbows and knees, you know, gouging out of her stomach. And the Bible says in verse 22, she inquires of the Lord. Why is all this happening? They're just fighting. Look, they're just brothers. You know, brothers, brothers do that. Brothers kind of punch each other. They jab. They kind of beat each other up. And so it's, it's not uncommon. It's happening in the womb. That's the way brothers are. They relate to each other just kind of punching and jabbing. That's the way guys are. Guys in general, just, hey, how you doing? Hey, just kind of punching and jabbing each other. You don't see girls going up to each other. Hey, how you doing? Hey. You know, the, <laughs> girls don't do that, right? And if you see a girl doing that, you know it's serious business. <laughs> it's like an episode of Jerry Springer or something. And when girls start fighting, it's hair pulling and there's bloodshed. It's vicious. But anyhow, guys, guys don't mean it to be mean. They're just kind of, you know, punching, jostling each other. Well, that's what's going on here. She inquires of the Lord. Look what the Lord says in verse 23. The Lord said to her, 
Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older, notice this, the older will serve the younger. Now, this is different. God is breaking the mold here based on what was tradition at this particular time. Traditionally, the firstborn son was the son with favored status. He assumed a role and a position that carried with it what's called the birthright. This is what Jacob wants Esau to sell to him in the story. For those of you who like to take notes, there are basically three components to the birthright in this ancient culture. You were the firstborn son, number one, you got a special blessing from your father. You got the paternal blessing. Usually what would happen is when a father would be near the end of his life, He would gather his children together and he would pray a special blessing over the firstborn son because his firstborn son is going to take the mantle of the family name and the responsibility of leadership in the family. In addition, that firstborn son got twice the portion of the father's assets, double the portion of the father's assets. So when dad died, he would get twice the inheritance of the other kids. And then lastly, he would assume the new patriarchal role of being the head of the family when dad died. So it was very special, very, very valuable, very, very esteemed role and position to be the firstborn son in a family, and with that came the birthright. What God does here in verse 23 is he sovereignly decides before the twins are born that the younger is going to be the one who will rule the family, and he will inherit the paternal blessing, not the older. So it's a sovereign choice of God. Why did God decide to do this? Answer, because he's God. Because he just decided to do that, and in his election, he chose the younger to be the head of the family, and that's Jacob. So it's the covenant through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, though Esau is the oldest of the twin boys. This was God's sovereign choice to make Jacob the son through whom the covenant promise should continue all the way to Messiah. So we have... Here the birthright, and then we see the boys are born. If you'll notice in verse 24 to 26, it says, When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. What we're going to find in this story is that Mom and dad are real creative. They're real brilliant in the way they come up with names for these kids. They name their kids basically on the basis of what they look like when they first come out of the womb, which when you stop and think, is kind of cruel. Here, first boy, boy number one comes out. Bible says red and hairy, not just a little bit. It says like he was wearing a garment, like he's wearing a sweater, a fur. And he's red. And Harry, I don't know what this looks like for you, but I came across a picture, actually. This is a picture of Esau. (laughs) Red and Harry. So I just kind of had this mental picture of an orangutan, and now you will for the rest of your life. So maybe I should get that off. But here he comes out, Red and Harry. They name him Esau. Esau in Hebrew translates Harry. That's his name. Not H-A-R-R-Y. H-A-I-R-Y. It's kind of cruel. I mean, you need a comb for your back, and everybody's going to call you that the rest of your life. Hey, you're the hairy dude, aren't you? Well, we can tell. I mean, you know, it's obvious, and he's all red and hairy. So that's what they name him, Harry. 
Harry, the hairy one. The hairy one. It's, it's a good thing we don't name our kids what they look like when they're first born anymore. That's not very nice. Look, I, I've been around a little while. I've visited a lot of uh, moms and dads in the hospital making pastoral visits, visiting little, little oh, mom's had a little baby. Oh, isn't that cutie pie? No. <laughs> Most parents are just simply blinded by the joy of the birth of that baby. I'm serious. I've, I've been visiting a lot of babies I've only ever seen three beautiful babies in my life. I'm just being real with you. I, they all happen to live in my house now, so I don't know how that worked out. But, you know, think about it. Most babies, I mean, you've been in water nine months. You're going to come out a little, you know, wrinkled and a little pickled looking. It's a good thing, because really, if we were to name babies based on what they look like today, I think most kids should be called Yoda when they're born. I mean, it's just not... Pleasant looking, but they grow up and they, they're all cute and everything. But at first, when they're first born, like, wow. Well, that's what they name Esau. So the first thing he looks like, he's red and hairy. Let's call him Harry. And then here comes Jacob, and he's grasping the heel of his brother as he's coming out of the womb. So they're going to name him Yaakov in the Hebrew, Jacob, which means heel grasper. That's what the name means. Now, it began to take on the connotation of tripping someone up. So Yaakov today means deceiver. Manipulator, somebody who trips someone else up. That's what you're going to name your kids, Harry and Heel Grasper. And that's what they have, Esau and Jacob. Well, they're born and they grow up. Verse 27 tells us, Boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. Which makes sense. I mean, if you look like a beast, you might as well kill him. And you can, you can sneak up on him without any camouflage. You're never going to... And they're going to see you coming, you know, so he's a skillful hunter. Of course, that makes sense. And then next to him, you got Jacob. It says, and he was a quiet man staying among the tents. So two very different guys. They're both, you know, men, obviously, strong men, but very different makeups, okay? I kind of picture Esau, he's kind of your man's man. Esau, is a, he's the dude, okay? He kills it and grills it, right? You know, he drives a pickup truck. He's got a gun rack. He's got an NRA bumper sticker, all right? He's smelling like the great outdoors. He's always got a permanent 5 o'clock shadow, listens to Rascal Flats. I mean, that's who Esau is, right? That's the kind of guy he is. Then you got Jacob. Jacob's at home. He's kind of a homebody. He drinks herbal tea. He likes the cooking channels, you know? He... uh, he, he loves hanging out with mom. He ties sweaters around his neck. That's just, he's, he's, he's always perfectly groomed. He cries at movies. He likes Barry Manilow. That's the kind of guy that he is, all right? Now, they're both, they're both good guys. They're both good guys, all right? Healthy, normal guys, but just very different here, okay? And that's the scene that we have here. And dad and mom have their favorites. Now, this is verse 28. This is a sad verse here. Verse 28, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, so we're going to have three quick principles from this flawed family. Here's the first one for those of you who like to take notes. Don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. It's not right under any circumstances, and especially in a family. The Bible warns about favoritism as a sin issue. Even in the New Testament, James talks about 
Don't show favoritism in the church. I'll just read to you. You don't need to turn there. But James 2, verse 1 says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, will you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Then later in James 2, it says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Let me ask you a question. Why is showing favoritism sin? The reason why showing favoritism is sin is because the Bible makes it clear God does not show favoritism. So when God is always the perfect standard and we live up to his standard and his example, if we fail to live up to that example and that standard, we sin. That's why the Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. It means his perfect standard. So here God is, a God who doesn't show favoritism. There's no prejudice in the heart of God. There's no discrimination in the heart of God. And then we come along and we show special favoritism to people. We are living a life that is inconsistent with the character and nature of God, and that's why it is sin. That's why it is sin. So we have to guard our hearts against this kind of thing. Peter, in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, realized there was some favoritism in his own heart. As a Jew, the Jews were used to thinking that they were the special favored people, which they clearly are in Scripture in terms of a specific divine purpose. But God doesn't love the Jews more than he loves the Gentiles, and vice versa. And Peter had to learn this lesson. So here he is as a Jew thinking to himself, I have special favored status as a Jew. I'm kind of better than the Gentiles. And God gets a hold of his heart. The story's in the book of Acts. When God, in a vision to Peter, lowers down a sheet from heaven, and in the sheet there are all kinds of unclean animals. And the Lord, in the vision, says to Peter, get up and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, these are unclean. I don't eat anything unclean. And the Lord says to Peter in the vision, do not declare anything unclean that I have declared clean. And God was speaking to him about the Gentiles, and at that same time in the vision, God spoke to him about going with some messengers from the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, go to Cornelius' house, preach the gospel, though they are Gentiles. Cornelius was a Gentile Roman centurion. Go to his home, preach the gospel. Now, an Orthodox Jew would never go into the home of a Gentile because it was that special favored status. You as a Gentile are unclean. I as a Jew am clean. And God broke down the barrier in Peter's heart and said, you're showing favoritism. Jesus died for all. You go preach the gospel. And when he did, Cornelius and his family got saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit all in the same day at the same time. And as a result of this, Peter then declares, Acts 10, 34 and 35, he says, I now realize, shows us he didn't before, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. We have to guard our hearts against favoritism and prejudice. It is sin. Now think about it in a family. Here is Isaac and Rebecca. They love each different child. And this is instantly creating a climate of division and competition. We have to be careful that we love our kids equally we can treat them uniquely because each child is an individual and God has wired each of our kids differently. I have three kids. They're all three different and unique and individual. 
But we have to learn to balance time, attention, affection, and all of that to make sure that all of our kids feel equally loved. And it takes work. Speaking through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. What is this cornerstone? Or better yet, who is this cornerstone? Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is that cornerstone. And it's our desire to honor and glorify Jesus through the teachings that you hear each day on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection is the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hemrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. You can get a free downloadable copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. It's our hope that you're attending a local church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If you don't currently have a church home and live in the Northern Virginia area, we encourage you to join us in person for worship. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Please join us next time as we continue through the book of Genesis. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.